Hello and a very warm welcome to our sunny Garden Organic podcast, full of inspiration and advice, helping you garden the organic way. I'm Fiona Taylor and I joined the team last year. If you're a regular listener, you may be wondering where Sarah Brown is. Well, Sarah just celebrated her retirement from Garden Organic. We had a leaving do in the greenhouse next to our offices a few weeks back. She'll still be making an appearance on future podcasts. But right now, I expect Sarah's in her garden, which is where we all want to be in this marvellous month of May. It's the late spring light that's making all the difference. And in a moment, Chris Collins and I will be talking about those things to watch out for and enjoy whilst getting amongst our plants this month. Our special guest is BBC Gardener's World presenter and long-time Garden Organic member Sue Kent. Chris travels to the beautiful Gower Peninsula to meet her and has a wonderful time touring her garden, which overlooks the sea. Later, we'll be opening up the post bag, answering questions about aphids, peat-free grow bags and, on a more philosophical note, just how do all those worms find their way into our compost bins? But before we get started, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, the Organic Gardening Catalogue. You can buy all sorts of plants, seeds and kit from them. And if you're a Garden Organic member, you get 10% off. If you need some pots and planters, they're running a special online offer right now at organiccatalogue.com pod4. So lots still to come. But first, I'm delighted to say that I'm off to join my colleague, Chris Collins, in our virtual potting shed. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, Fiona. How are you? And welcome to the Garden Organic Podcast. I I can't believe how much fun this is. But not just that. It's also the best month of all, doing the podcast in May. May is just a wonderful month. It is indeed. I mean, it's the busiest month, but it's that anticipation of all the wonderful things that are coming ahead. You know, I kind of look at I look at all the seed I sow, which I can hold in one hand and I know I know what it's going to turn into later in the season. But why is it your best month, Fiona? What's your reason for loving it? Well, it's because it's my birthday in May. And so I always think it's such a brilliant time of year. Get my own personal bank holiday, at least one, possibly two. And uh, the sun always shines and all the trees are coming into leaf. And it's just the best month for me. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a very positive month, isn't it? Really uplifting. You know, you come out of the dark months and everything starts to grow again. But I need to ask you a few questions. I'm going to be nosy. You've come into Garden Organic. This is amazing charity. What inspired you personally to become interested in gardening? Well, uh, it started a long, long time ago. And I, in my 20s, I couldn't cook. I was a terrible cook. I went to stay with my sister, who's a very, very good cook. And I noticed she was putting herbs into her cooking. And it was coming up to my birthday at the time. And I said to her, could she give me some herbs for my birthday? And she went the extra mile, Chris. She planted up a window box for me because I didn't have a garden. I lived in a flat and she planted up a window box for me with herbs in it. And that's where it all started. Right. So a bit of sibling rivalry involved there, is it, Fiona? <laughs> she is still a better gardener than me. <laughs> oh, right, I, don't believe that. I don't believe that for a minute. So, so it, you, you mentioned herbs there. Is that the particular part of, of gardening that interests you? Are you still holding that through to today? I think herbs are the most amazing plant and they're so easy to grow. And so they're very, very um, encouraging. So if you're a beginner gardener mm. and you plant some herbs, particularly perennial herbs, that's what I'm most interested in, then you will almost most undoubtedly have success mm. and and not only will you have success in a plant that is beautiful and that is likely to flower and because it's perennial it'll come back next year you've also got something you can maybe make tea with you can maybe mm. sprinkle some leaves or flowers into your bath you can put into your cooking so there's this incredible versatility to herbs and I've had a herb garden ever since that window box I've always planted herbs in in, in all the places I've lived and I've got now a herb garden it's about five meters by five meters and it is absolutely jam-packed of perennial herbs and I don't have to do anything to it I, I it just it just serves me I just go out and pick it's incredible yeah they're very interactive plants aren't they you can just graze them and and it's interesting you say that because they are really really easy to grow you know as long as the soil drains they'll grow away and if you wanted to start out garden it's perfect you gave a perfect example if you're a school or a beginner they're brilliant for it aren't they they really are but you mentioned the herbs but you know you've got a garden what's going on in your garden at the moment oh golly it's just 
bursting into life. I have this year created a new bed and I've actually tried the no dig method. I'm sort of halfway up. So you've got half the bed covered and planted and the other half the bed has got cardboard. So this is where you lay down some cardboard over some turf. It was just some turf that was completely unused. Um, You lay the cardboard over and that excludes the light, which means that the, the turf basically rots down you put garden compost on top now I have been very successful with my garden compost I'm quite proud to say (laughs) Um, and that was when I knew I was a true gardener was when uh, when suddenly the compost heap started to yield proper compost that was about 10 or 15 years ago so um I feel quite proud of my compost you need to be need to be a good composter to be in the organic game don't you absolutely (laughs) and I've put that I've put compost on top and it's rotting down and I've started to plant in uh some perennials I've got um I've got artichokes and I've also put some ceanothus because I want to have some flowers in amongst yeah, so beautiful. I'm doing a real bit of California bit of California for you there. bit of California <laughs> bit of blue sky yeah, yeah, that's right yeah. but but it's about making sure that you've got as much different types of plants all those yeah. varieties in the one bed so I haven't finished it yet so it's so it's under development I'll I'll, I'll keep you posted that sounds good yeah you hit on that diversity the more mixed the site well I think the more interesting in the garden really so you know going for that that mixture of plants all those different things happening really works but what do you think uh, everybody else should be up to this month should we have a little look at what do you think yeah i mean may golly it is a month where you've really you know you've got the beauty of it mm. but you've also got a little bit of pressure to be honest in yes. may <laughs> i'm because... so busy at the moment <laughs> I, mean, I got home yesterday literally i've been away and i i literally pricked out over 450 seconds yesterday my front room is full of them and it's really endearing me to my beloved i can promise you, it really is. <laughs> 450. Yeah, yeah honestly, it's ridiculous. I'm gonna it's really sunny in London today, so I'm gonna get them all out of the balcony to sunbathe and then I'll start transporting them. But it's a good example of, of how intense this time is. But it, again, it's that you know, the, the wonder of starting with a seed or a small plant and watching the progress of the season. Let's talk a bit about planting out because mm. it's something that a lot of us are really nervous about. It, it's the pricking on stage is scary enough. Yeah. Um, is it really going to make it if I prick it out now? And then I often find that I prick out and then nothing happens to that seedling. So then I'm scared to plant it out. So yeah. there's that middle stage that actually around this time of year, really you want actually is it ready to go out yes well I, I remember I mean I, I worked up in the north in Scotland obviously my training and they have an expression did he cast a clute or maize be careful of may when it comes to outside there's two points to make here when you prick out you'll check the seedling okay and when I say check I mean you've moved it so you've disturbed it so it'll just hold its ground for a little while so you tend to have this period where it doesn't move it just stays small and you're just looking at it going what you should be cracking on so don't worry about that but just make sure you harden them off which means you take them out it's a sunny day in London today which means I'll take them all outside I'll give them a bit of fresh air I'll get them used to the outdoor then I'll bring them in and protect them at night but I would really be careful about putting anything out till the end of this month or till near the end of this month particularly the north more north you go and the reason is that it's not even frosts to be honest with you it's you get these cold winds might come in and even an experienced gardener like me i put aubergines out a little bit early last year with a cold wind and you just get this graying of the leaves where you get cell death where the plant doesn't like it and what happens then is the plant doesn't die but you just got a slow start so imagine you put if you're an aubergine and i put you out in the garden in may late may the soil is now warm I'm putting you into a duvet, basically. So the roots will respond to the warmth of the soil and get down. So the thing is, is be careful. I won't sow my runner beans or or my courgettes or my melon. I'm going to try melon this year. I won't sow any of them for another couple of weeks even because I want to get to the end of May before I start to really plant out into open space. Okay, yeah. So don't worry if your seedlings are tiny at the beginning They will sit tight. They'll think about it and they'll go, hang on a minute, I've got some new soil here. Let's go with the roots and off they go. That is literally what happens. Fantastic. And I last year did, and the year before, did No Mo May. And I cannot tell you how much joy it brought us. We were sitting out and and there was a rustle in the long grass and a green woodpecker Mm. just flew up and had had obviously come into the garden and sat on the tree and down into the grass and then out again. I live in the middle of a city. You know, I can't tell Mm. you the thrill. And I know that that green woodpeckers feed on the ground so actually to think that we'd created a habitat 
in the middle of the city for a green woodpecker was just thrilling. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's funny how things have changed from when I started because we got everything was cut and edged and it we, we were so manipulative of it. It was about neatness and the control. And what happens it, almost in a way, I remember when working at Q, it became economic. Why not let it grow longer? Get the wildlife in it because you're not used burning petrol. It hits all those organic buns because that gives our pollinators, our early pollinators, a chance to go. And that's not really a big sacrifice to make. But these plants are very, very adaptable. They'll make a little ecosystem and stuff. I will say though. That not everyone can do that because you might have kids, you might have a dog. People want to run around, play, kick a ball, and you know, a dog wants to go out there. Don't think because your grass is short that you're not helping nature. Imagine when were you were a kid in all those, you know, daisy chains and the buttercup and clover. Clover is massive in short grass. And I was in my local park recently and uh, and it's full of clover and it was just heaving with bees. So you can have nature as well. My, my point is, is you can have a long grass area, also a short grass area, but just don't make it grass. Overseed it with clover, with buttercup. Some plants like speedwell, I don't know, do you know speedwell? There's a blue yes, flower. A blue I mean, flower. And this time of year, you get in May, you get that blue tinge all through the fields. It's actually an escapee. It was an ornamental plant that leapt the wall, but it's very high in nectar and it actually propagates vegetatively. So if you're running a mower over it, it spreads even more. So don't feel that you need to, it all has to be long grass. Do both. Have a little area, long plants and bulbs in it, but also have a place to kick a ball and let those smaller plants feed the bees. It's about leaving it a little bit, isn't it? You know, even if you if it is just a small area and you mow around the edge of it. We recently bought a cordless mower, just secondhand, but one that you you, you charge up the battery um, and that gives us 25 minutes of mowing and out we go. And it's great to think that now I'm not putting any fumes at all into my yeah. garden, I have to say. Well, it's interesting. I was, um, when I worked at Westminster Abbey, we were using all this big petrol-driven, machinery and I spoke to Cormac the guy who runs it now I'm still in touch with all his stuff is electric now everything's been replaced so we are moving in the right direction aren't we we're getting away from that that fossil fuel when it comes to being a gardener and we are as people of garden organic we need to set these examples and leave from the front because it's only going to be positive at the end of the day. Absolutely. So the short flowers, I'm really interested in this. How quickly do they come up between mowings? A dandelion will be back in the game two days later with the flowers. And they're amazingly clever plants because they're, they're stem. The stem that the flower sits on, the petiole, actually adjusts to the height of the grass. So if you leave the grass longer, dandelion flower will be a foot long say if the grass is long but if you cut the grass it will stay the flower will come up and stay tight to the grass it literally physically adapts to the length of the grass and daisies are pretty similar with that as well so they are very adaptable i definitely agree with no mowing because that gives our pollinators our early pollinators a chance to go and that's not really a big sacrifice to make it's not a bowling green it's not a cricket wicket let those short grass plants come in and colonize that's the interesting point, isn't it? The, the point of it being in May rather than not mowing altogether. And it's a bit like cutting a hedge. At this time of year, I'm, I'm not being funny. I'm looking out my window. I've got bird feeders. They're full of fledglings. Don't be cutting the hedge now because it'll be full of nests. Just give nature a little bit of a leeway here and then we can crack on with normal life after. You know, we're not we're not setting rules to dominate everyone's lives. It's just a little bit of consideration here. But that's the interesting thing. When you come to cut it, there must be a little bit of fear involved. I mean, I, I was, you know, frightened of disturbing toads and amphibians that had, that had, had gone amongst the grass. So any tips around that? If it's really long, um, if it's kind of getting beyond 10, 12 centimetres, you might have to tip the mower back a little bit and run up and down. I wouldn't be too worried about what's in the grass at that time. They'll hear a mower coming, but just don't cut it too short but actually in a general sense what would you advise in terms of how high people should leave their grass at, you know when it's not may so i never cut grass below 2.5 centimeters so i'm leaving the crown of the plant in place actually the double bubble of this is if it gets dry it won't go all yellow because you've left a head on the grass so just don't don't scrape it don't shave it to the floor i know it's tempting because it's you know it's the big macho thing to do is zoom up and down in it with a moment just raise the height of cut 2.5 to 3 centimetres and leave the crowns on those plants. The daisies, the dandelions and the clover will all be up flowering again pretty quickly. The other lovely thing about May is how warm the ground feels, isn't it? And and it just is such a joy to, to sow seed. I think it's interesting if you if you follow all the, the magazines and all the, you know, what you're supposed to be doing and this time of year and all the rest of it, people think, oh, I've missed the seed sowing. And no, 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 this mm. is the exciting time to sow outside, would you say? Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, I will perpetually sow now, probably till beginning of August, particularly salad crop. I put in rocket and come again, salad, lettuce, but they're all kind of, they're quite quick crops, radish. 
I will enter so all the way through on the allotment and on the balcony in my salad bar. So I never really stopped seed sowing. You're still too early to sow runner beans. It, you know, you can get those in all the way through May, June. You get courgettes in. Have a look at your seed packets. Have a look at the advice on it. If you're a, a, a novice, they'll give you good guidance. But I think that that perpetual sowing means you'll keep cropping, particularly for edibles. You've also got things like hardy annuals for flowers, easy to sow straight into the ground, even a lot of bedding plants. I would say that seed sowing is the most miraculous part of being a gardener. So make the most of it. For me, I sow my annual herbs in May, particularly basil, because it just does so well. It, it really does. And I love the uh, the parsley's and the corianders and and all those things that, that that take off so quickly if you if you sow them in May. And if you do them too early, then it's just there's just too many risks involved. Yeah, and also you can you can carry on. So you can re-sow those in June, re-sow those, and think about it. If you go to a supermarket and you buy a packet of them freeze-dried, you're paying like 150 a pop. You'll pay that for like 70, 80 seeds of coriander, and then you can re-sow them all through the summer. So it's economical, it's organic, it's fresh. Why wouldn't you do it? The other thing about coriander is it often self-seeds. Yeah, it will spread. It will will make itself at home. And I love that. I love that about plants when they just bed in. I love that. I do as well. Absolutely. I do find, though, if I start things under glass or or on the windowsill, I do very often get pests. I get uh, whitefly in particular. Any advice around the sorts of pests and diseases that people are contending with at this time of year? Yes, certainly. I mean, um, insides, we'll get a little bit of whitefly. I never get inundated with white fly in the house. If you do see it, really rub it off is the best thing you can do. Just get your thumb and your finger and rub it off. It's all about observation, Fiona. And it's a bit like watering. People say, how often do I, should I water? Check it every day. Because if you're checking it every day, you're also looking for white fly. You're looking for, you need to feed it. You're doing all these gardener's jobs in your mind through the course of watering. So just have a look. If you get in there and rub that white fly out early, you're not going to have a major problem later on. If you let the scales set in, you let the youngsters set in, it'll become more of a problem. So just keep a little eye on it. That's that's the best advice I can give. When it comes to outdoors, I'll always have a lot of problem with cabbage white caterpillar. I net. Tell me about your net, Chris. What what sort of shape are they? Yes, well, I go for the classic, really. I I, um, I, I use old sort of hoops, sort of irrigation plastic hoops. Um, I've had them for years. So I'll put them in lines along my brassica bed particularly. And then I put the net over the top and I pin it in place with tent pegs. And that holds it entirely in place. And that means I don't get gaps because otherwise you'll end up with a net with about 3,000 cabbage butterflies flying around inside it. <laughs> and it's, so, so you have to be quite strict. But it really is a simple thing. But you are just making sure you're denying access, basically. It's a barrier. And it really does work, especially with brassicas, which are the, are the easiest plants to grow in many ways but the ones that the natural world loves to go after pigeons white fly etc what about flea beetle well i get absolutely slaughtered with flea beetle i don't know why whether it's the site i'm on i i love rocket my rocket is one of my favorite salad crops but it will get destroyed if i plant it too early radish as well so i just plant much later they'll go out end of june even you know when it's a bit warmer i think it's a later plant and if you're suffering from a lot of flea beetle attack just hold back a bit they do go after some of my herbs as well they go after the leafy stuff and i sometimes just take the view that there's a few holes in my leaves and actually so what yeah i think if you're getting a minor attack it doesn't matter uh, I have had absolute devastation from flea beetle, though. It depends on the season. Last year, a couple of years ago, the black fly on the beans was just incredible. No ladybird could have conquered it. You just have this odd kink in nature where the conditions are right. Don't worry about it. Re-sow. We've already talked about this. If you'd sow a load of radish and rocket and it gets attacked, dig it up, re-sow. A packet of seeds costs next to nothing. And it also plays into successional sowing, doesn't it? Just keep going. Just keep yes, going. Just, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, no, wisdom is born from error in our game. So never, never feel downhearted if it doesn't work out that way. You live and learn. And, and you know, like I said, I'll be sowing seed all the way up to August. And it's a massive pleasure. You said about your black fly and that no ladybird could have conquered it. I'd love to understand a bit more about if if you had sent off for some ladybirds in that instance. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done that? I have in a, in a professional capacity. So we would do then Casia formosa, which is a white fly predator. You'd use those in a big greenhouse at Botanic Gardens or something like that. You could use those in your conservatory. Very, very efficient. I like to think on a small plant scale, observation, just make sure you nip the problem before it gets too big. Actually, talking about the broad beans, nipping out, pinching out the tips will also greatly reduce the black fly problem. Nothing to do with ladybirds because they love that really fresh growth. I think looking at your garden properly and your plants properly, you can reduce the problems just by early actions. 
What about the flower garden in May, Chris? What are we looking out for? What are we trying to prevent in terms of pests and diseases in the flower garden? I have a lot of flower on my allotment. We were talking about diverse sites earlier. I love that integration. I really like the two the edibles and the flowers to just join together. And I've, it makes it for a beautiful site as well. But this, I'm a big fan of hardy annuals. So I'll sow them in drills along the sides of my edible borders and, and across. It really is the biggest thing is making sure I thin them out properly and water them properly. So if I don't let them get too crowded and, and I give them room to grow, I don't really have much, much problems with pests. A lot of these flowers also are native, like corn flowers and English marigolds. So you can choose species that adapt to your surroundings as well. You can make the conditions right, the plant will become resilient to the pest. The other big one also is kind of making sure if you do get any kind of fungus, pick them off the DDD rule, any dead diseased or dying material, make sure you give a little bit of hygiene. But once hardy annuals are up, and summer flowering bulbs actually, I grow a lot of them, they give you the most wonderful display with very little fuss. Now, we had a very dry April, so let's just talk a little bit about watering. It's interesting. It's supposed to be the the, the month of the April shower, wasn't it, April? And it, they don't seem to ha- happen much these days. I check, particularly my balcony, I'm out there every morning. I check every plant individually because I just think that that is, again... I'll come back to that. It's your key task and defining all the other tasks you need to do. So I think, you know, if you get a few dry days, don't want to water it to bits, but you make sure the the ground stays moist, particularly with seedlings. They can't afford to dry out. My motto is attention to watering every single day as a gardener. So we think May is totally glorious. We're totally fooled. Summer has begun and then... We come out one morning and it's been an incredibly clear night and there's been a frost. What is your advice in that scenario? Well, you've got to be careful in May with the, with what I call the tenders. You know, those plants are like runner beans or courgette, squash. They really can suffer, not just from a frost, but also you might get an easterly wind in May and they'll just damage the plants. It is a game of patience. Wait till the end of May for those tenders. If you haven't got stuff out and it's growing well and you're happy with it, look at the weather forecast and put a fleece over it. Don't take your eye off the ball. That's the way it works. Yes, uh, very sage advice. Um, I will be doing the same. Good stuff. Well, it's an exciting time, isn't it? I mean, for me, I just love this month. I just love it. You know, last year, I've got a full-size allotment and I grew everything from seed. Seed is kind of my big buzz in in, in the game I do. What amazes me is it's a big allotment. By August, it looks incredible. It's so full of life and colour and food, but I could have held it all in my hand in May. What a miracle that is. So I can't encourage our listeners enough to get out and sow some seed. That's exactly what I'll be doing. Thank you so much, Chris. Maybe I'll stop work and just spend the whole month in the garden. It sounds like a good odds to me. Lovely chatting to Fiona and a happy gardening for May. Bye, Chris. Bye-bye. Now, Chris has been out and about, as you might expect, and a little earlier on this year, he travelled to the Gower Peninsula in South Wales to meet Sue Kent. You may know Sue from Gardener's World, where she responded to a call for viewers to send in videos from their gardens during lockdown. She was such a hit that she's now appearing regularly on the show. Sue has an upper limb disability, but has never let that stop her from pursuing her passions. She pioneered a massage technique using her feet and worked as a sports massage therapist for many years. Sue strongly believes in focusing on what she can do in life, finding ways to overcome challenges. And she applies this to her beautiful and ever-evolving tiered garden overlooking the sea. We join Chris and Sue in her kitchen. Right, so I'm on a treat today. I'm up in Mumbles, the beautiful part of the world, uh, just outside Swansea. I'm with Sue Kent, who many of you might know from Gardener's World. Um, We're going to talk all things gardening. Sue, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for coming down here and visiting me on this lovely, beautiful, sunny day. (laughs) It is. I've done well here. (laughs) So you've got, I mean, you're such an enthusiastic gardener. What's what's, what's your garden philosophy? So my philosophy here is to try and be as natural as possible try not to bring too many foreign things into the garden and to use what I have and a mixture of fruit and veg. I I do love my fruit and veg and the flowers my husband's often most get neglected but you know I I have trained myself to be a bit better at flowers now. So yeah it's just to enjoy it, to potter about, to enjoy it but to be productive. Nothing I like more than garbage in the morning Picking lots of leaves for his lunch and yeah. salad and sowing radishes. And so if you're not going to the garden centre all the time, you like to keep yeah, things not, upside. I'm, yeah, I like to upside because I like to propagate my plants. I like to split and divide, save seeds and, you know, see if they come again. So, yeah, 
Try so, and minimise my impact on the world. Right, that's great. Yeah, and busy garden, you strike me as a very busy gardener, being out and about and getting your hands in there and doing really getting right up close to it. Uh. Yeah. So you've got this amazing garden here. It's it's tiered. We're on a, on a hill here and uh, there's loads going on out there. We'll have a little walk around in there later if that's all right. But you've also got an allotment as well. Tell me about the allotment. So the allotment, I read a book called Plot 29 about the beneficial to mental health for people with allotments. And... I always have allotment envy. And some allotments up here, some private allotments, were in danger of being stopped. Right. And uh, I have a couple of friends who my kids are at school with, and they, so we all three of us got together and we bought them. And really? They were all neglected, and so we've developed them. And what I said I wanted to be involved with making them more accessible because I think that the allotment can be too big. So we yeah. got down to quarter allotments. So we're encouraging people to start if they if they want to or they don't want the whole thing. So we've got quarter of a lot quarter allotments. It's it's fully booked and it's lovely booked up with just a quarter because I love allotments. I just wanted to have allotment life. I've ended up with half a polytunnel as well. No, about a third of a polytunnel, right. which I'm sharing with someone else, which is great. And so you sound like, it sounds like a very quite a community project then. You've got quite a little family vibe going oh, on Oh, yeah, we've got all the family. And they've they got, you know, the kids are involved and, you know, the whole family's workly allotment. And, yeah, and the, the, the three of us, you know, who, who set it up, we have our little meetings at the allotment and plan what we can do, you know, who's growing the biggest pumpkin and all that sort of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. And there's, we've got, managed to get a grant for a toilet up there and, you know, need that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely and it's much sunnier than here because I was part of a, a community group and we'd visit people's gardens and um, then they came to mine there and I said, why can't I grow, like, all these, you know, more summery-type things, peppers and courgettes and things? And they all looked and said, not enough sun. Give <laughs> yeah. up now and grow their tea. But made, you weren't having any of that. No, well, I've made it more sunny now and yeah. I've rejigged where I put things. It's better up allotment to grow certain things because right. it gets so much more sun. They got a bit more more of a microclimate up there. Yeah, they got they got yeah they so you can you know sweet corn and beans and all that sort of thing are a bit happier up there. Right. You know, so I've got the two types of climate. Yeah, very good. So you've got two things going on. It's interesting you say about allotment size because my allotment they're big and people come on their families and they don't know what to expect and they just get overwhelmed very quickly. So getting them into manageable size plots is a really useful tip, isn't it? It is. I hate the feeling of being overwhelmed one of the, my i became overwhelmed by my garden about 2011 and that's where i completely changed it um because i was i was beginning you know it's upsetting me yeah and it's stressful there's you no do. pressure i mean that's the whole point of being a gardener in an afternoon yeah so it's, it's <laughs> the whole point of being a gardener is it's time out isn't it you yeah. don't know if it's causing you stress yes. then it's yeah. that's you're doing it wrong yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. haven't got that much time <laughs> yeah yeah now, you obviously, I mean, you have different physical challenges to a lot of gardeners. How, how do you get on with that? What, what, what sort of tips do you have for that kind of thing? For people who don't know me, I've got 18-inch arms and seven fingers. So I'm not that strong in the arms. I use my feet for quite a lot of the work. But for things like, I can't cut things with unless you know, they've got thinner stems. Mm. So that's why vegetables are quite good. Yeah. And, and things like growing cabbage, because you've got to let them, because of the cabbage right butterfly... I just get in such a mess and it's so awkward that I've decided not to grow them this year, not even to stress myself with it. Uh, and also I've raised a lot of beds yeah. so that I could, for the more fiddly things because the feet are a bit clumpy. So I grow a lot of my carrots and parsnips and salads in raised tubs and raised beds. So that's how I do that. And, you know, there are choices like potatoes. Uh. I love potatoes. <laughs> but growing them in the ground, lots of digging. It's, it, I can dig, but it, I end up with a really bad back. So I now grow them in big plastic tubs that mm. I found someone was throwing away. And I also last year grew them in cardboard boxes. Now, the tubs are slightly easier to harvest in the cardboard boxes because you just kick it. Right, yeah, okay, she's booting you, you, Yeah, you've got to have... You're going to be prepared to eat all that is in the tub. And yeah. I've got to say that they don't grow as many as you think they're going to grow. Yeah. I've, I've watched some YouTube videos with some people just having stacks, <laughs> stacks of, 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 of potatoes out of one tub. So I think I need to up my game. <laughs> See, so, uh, so crop choice comes into it, what is easier to work yeah. with, and then obviously growing in, in um, containers and stuff that are more accessible to you. Yeah. You've got it down pat, because you're a bit of a builder, though, as well, aren't you? You've got some stuff going on out there, which looks a bit more hard graft to me. Yeah, I, my son is a carpenter. Right. And every so often when he's... He's always busy, but I have to beg him for about a year in advance. 
I come up with a cunning plan for something. But I have got some other people who come and help me. Right. My, my husband's made a couple of things as well. So I, I come up with a plan and then they they help. And lo- I think my last project, which was on Gunners World, is I put a cold frame on top of one of the raised beds. So it's like multifunctional now. So it's been able to be used in the winter as well. So, yeah, I, I always have a plan in mind. What's the next thing? So you're an ideas girl, aren't you? Oh, I That's love it. what you are. I, no, but it reminds me of an ideas girl, but quite a good supervisor as well, yeah. I should imagine. Like, you don't I, mind that doing that. I get that. the ideas. Now, I love the ideas, and I get all excited. It keeps me awake at night. But, yeah, I, 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 I think I've got a problem. How am I going to solve it? Right, like, brilliant. I, I love it. One of the things is strawberries, actually. I've tried strawberries in all different sorts of ways. Um, and I've got them in the tub there, but it's, they still get uh, in a bit. I get in the p- pickle. And I just found someone dumping a shelving unit, metal shelving unit. And so I'm going to reorganise my strawberries at the end of this year into pots and then onto this shelving unit and put them outside. I had them in the greenhouse, but they didn't like it. Right. They got too hot and bothered. So, um, you can just pick at leisure. Yeah. I mean, that strikes me. I mean, uh, I've known you very long, but there's some, one thing that's come across very strong is you, you're not afraid to experiment. You like to try things and, and, and get things going, don't you? That maybe a little bit unusual yeah i think once you realize gardening is all about failure it's all about failing and learning from those failures that you're not worried about failing yeah it's not a competition is it it's not a competition you're not going to get it right all the time and also you know i listen to the programs and and it may not be a way that suits me like for for instance tomatoes i grow tomatoes in the greenhouse in tubs then feeding them all the time is a bit of a pain in the bum and also pinching them out. And so I have put cross wires across and I put them in a tub, but I get the first cuttings of the grass and I dry them out over a couple of weeks and then I put them at the bottom of the pots and then I plant the tomatoes and they go happily along. And I then tie in the side shoots and then they hit the grass and the right. nutrients and then they go, it's a second surge. I'm normally picking into December. Really? Yeah. yeah. And... The thing is, the side shoots, you know, I thought, I kept watching these programmes, I must pick up my side shoots, yeah, I must yeah. go on. And I, so I did it the proper way, and I got a third of the crop. Really, that's really interesting. So you're almost growing them like a mini espalier. But, but, it's, not, but it's productive, it's is what you're saying. It's super productive. Because it isn't about the pretties, you want them ripe, fresh, organic tomatoes. Yeah. So I, I, I've done both now, and I know I'm confident that my way, they're good for me, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's, I'm going to try that, I'm going to yeah. take that away with me. And what other, I mean, there's other things, you said about, and filling up your raised containers you have some little tips about that don't you yeah so when I got these raised beds they're old old tyre boxes and I've, up the allotment I've got those big you know those big water tanks that came out of people's houses yes yeah and there's a lot if you put compost in that that is going to big volume it's big volume mm. big bucks and it would take all my compost and of course plants most plants don't need that much depth you know how much are we talking about 30 centimetres something like that tops yeah. is it so yeah. we've got about a metre would you say that yeah those yeah beds? yeah so I put, I had lots of logs lying around from cutting the trees and everything. So I put layers of logs, then I put layers of chippings, and then I put sort of back manure and grass cuttings. And I put compost, and then I planted into the top. And I've since discovered that the Germans have obviously copied me. And uh, there's a term for it. I can't quite remember, Hugo class or something. So this layering <laughs> is actually a great way of growing, right. you know, to depth. The thing that it gives you is as those logs and everything rot down, they give long-term nutrients to the soil. And also for me, the soil level drops because logs are rotting and everything's yeah. rotting. So that I don't have to dig out next year. I just can top it all so up, just top it up with yeah. compost. And also they found that it holds moisture more. Yeah, so I'm very pleased I'm on trend. Is it? Yeah, I think <laughs> you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer. Yeah, that's really good. You're an organic grower. Yeah. Because my damage is caused by drugs, thalidomide. Right. And my father, after that, was very anti-drugs. I'm very anti-drugs. And you don't know what's in these feeds. You don't know what's in these, you know, like vermiculite and perlite. They're quite dusty. You know, my, and my hands are literally six inches of my face. Yeah, so you don't, you don't want to be breathing. I don't want to be breathing no, yeah, in anything. Yeah, and yeah. also, with those things, it's about environmental impact in other ways. They're not made here. It's all about making 
making your own resources. So making instead of going to buy some of the plant foods in the you know to do the tomatoes, to make my own feed out of nettles. And it's not putting nettles in water; it's actually <laughs> fermenting it in layers of sugar. Wow. And then you get a very concentrated shelf-stable product. Dandelion leaves, anything that sucks up nutrients from yeah. the soil, got long roots, it will have it in its plant leaf. And so you want to get that and then sort of put it back onto the plant. Now, it's interesting um, you're saying, it's almost as a way that's a bit like what Lawrence Hill's got up to and the fact that he did it with comfrey, didn't he? Yeah. This isn't just hippy-dippy stuff, this is a science. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant, that's really good. That's really good. And you're a wood chip person as well, aren't you? This is kind of a lot, we've learned a lot more about wood chip in recent yeah, years. Yeah, well, a wood chip, I've got a lot of wood chip at the allotment. And I wanted to, when I went no dig at the allotment, I wanted to put my paths down to wood chip. I tried various things and I thought they'd be the best because also they rot down. And then if you decide you want to move your beds in two years' time, it's easy because it's all rotted down. Again, I got wood, uh, Ben Raskin of the Soil Association. Yes, I know Ben. Yeah, he was a guest of ours, I think, on this one. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, yeah. he's written the wood chip handbook. Yes. I tried some of it, but I hadn't properly composted it. So my first attempt has failed. I'm going to go now and try and make my own compost out of it. I mean, I've got loads of compost bins here, but yeah. I like to try different compost. <laughs> yeah. And I've got this resource. So, yeah, so I'm going to do that with the wood chip. And the other thing, making, you know, the hot beds, you know, like you get the manure hot beds yes. where you want to put the seed trays on and this sort of thing. Well, you can do it with fresh wood chip. And so the idea is it heats up the... the, the it heats up, apparently. Yeah, and then you put your seed trays on yeah. and you get a germination quicker. Yeah, you a bit like a propagator works. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, and then, of course, you've got it afterwards. You can tip it out or whatever. And yeah, you yeah. use it as a... And then you can mulch with it or whatever. Yeah, enough, and yeah. mulch with... Uh, yeah, so... Looking for other ways to use products that you're that, already... Yeah. Or items you're already using, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that my garden doesn't get overwhelmed with waste. You know, like when you cut down the trees, use the logs. When yeah, you, yeah. If, you've got, if, if you're shredding some of them, use the wood chip. If you're cutting the grass use the grass yeah. if you've got weeds turn them into something you know yeah you're, you're just hitting the one of the core principles of being an organic gardener aren't you the fact that you don't you don't bag stuff and throw it away everything has a purpose a use doesn't it and yeah just, it does you're a member of garden organic you have been for quite a long time in one way i think organic and environmental gardening is now right out in the mainstream which maybe it wasn't before no because i mean i joined in 1995 and it was a henry doubleday research association my friends were like, what are you doing? Why? You know, they really didn't get it. You know, I think it's such an important cause to be a part of. And, mm. of course, you get the magazine and it, and the podcast, I think, is brilliant. I love the podcast. But for me, sometimes I've got a bit of problems with my eyes and reading can be a bit of a, an issue. But listening... You should listen to it, yeah. It's yeah. is, is great, personal, yeah. avid listener. That's good. We need members like you. That's what we need. And uh, but it's, I wonder also, you know, we've had we had this lockdown, we've had COVID and stuff. There's maybe a new generation of gardeners coming through that are more likely to be organic, aren't they? And I think Instagram and YouTube and things like that, social media, have really helped sort of spread the lessons and, yeah. and the words. We've got a guy called, you know, you can get your knowledge from a lot of different places. Yeah, now. it's lovely to see people understanding why it's so important. Yeah. And not necessarily believing that everything is safe just because you're told it is. And I think that young seem to be much more in tune with, you know, their environment and saving and saving on resources, you know, because so many people use so many things they don't need to use. Yeah. And it's funny, like the other day, um, one of my old elderly relatives died. She must have been about five foot and I went up to help clear her house. And I said, can I go in the shed? And <laughs> she had lots of mini tools, which are great for raised beds. And I always feel that if you're patient and you think that you need something, it will come. If you're looking and people know, you can all share things around. Just, you say that because I think also when you sort of get in your head, you want to go and buy something. It's like a quick rush, isn't it? And yeah. then, I don't know how much you appreciate that. When you come across your tools you've just described, they're really there's a poignant meaning to those yeah, material I, things, isn't there? There's a reason for you having them. To, and, you, and the thing, and I think I waited, I needed those raised beds and I I thought, I'm not going to buy the wood, I'm not going to buy the new wood, I'm not going to new tree. I was walking past a friend's house and they were having their roof done and they were just sitting there. Well, you were obviously having quite an exciting time as well because you're now obviously on our televisions, aren't you, on the garden as well, yeah, so yeah. it's obviously quite a big gig to get. I, I worked to tell you for quite a long time, it's a strange old world, how are you finding that? strange i just sent my viewers video in and it went from there they like me and i like them 
and I don't really know why it's a success, <laughs> and, but it, I'm just going to go with it. You know yeah. what I mean? If it's a positive experience, because yeah. it's very funny, because I get a lot of people now coming up to me, so yeah. I can't really go to the garden centre or anything. But I used to get a lot of people just staring at me because I look weird. And, 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 but now they're coming up and talking about gardens. That's a nice thing. So that's been a positive thing that's from it. That's a positive it. thing. But you, I can understand why they like you, because the enthusiasm is what they're after, and you've got bags of that, yeah. Sue. And uh, I think that's what... People want to be uplifted when they watch your television. You're obviously doing that pretty successfully. Anything else? Any other big projects in the pipeline? Well, I got a, a call from the RHS no. in November. I'm asking me if I'd like to submit a design for the Hampton Court show. And I wasn't going to do it, and then my daughter gave me a hard time and said, yes, my you've got to do it so I've designed a garden on the small garden section getting started and I'm going to be at Hampton Court this year with my garden I'm very nervous because it's called some medals and yeah, I, 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 I never win anything <laughs> I'm not a winner in, I'm a winner in life yeah. but not awards not of medals well we've talked about the garden is it alright if you have a little stroll around yeah, and say hello no, well, thanks for that and we'll go out there and it's an incredibly beautiful spot you're in here it isn't is, it it's heaven it's just and there's some lovely big cedars and then you've got the hills behind and the sea and the bay and the oh it's so beautiful and I you, go down for a morning swim do you oh wow really yeah, yeah. Little wood, oh, now go. you're just making me jealous <laughs> Okay, so we're in the garden. It's it's um, I mean it's a big old space, and you've tiered it incredibly. That must have been a bit of work. But I found it so much uh, easier to cope with now than trying to garden like a goat on one slope with one <laughs> leg in the air. And um, you know, I've kept it very simple. The tiering, the different layers, but they're all sixty centimeters wide. Um, so that I can reach with my feet each, right, and brilliant. I can I can weed it all with my feet. So it's all designed so you, you physically you can cope with it, no yeah. problem. The most convenient. Yeah, for either you. hands or feet can right. reach that far and no more. So each little bed, lots of narrow beds. And these are sort of three stretches of uh, perennial plant, permanent planting areas, and I can see spirea. Yeah, they're spirea permanent, and, and there's a, a spirea for the spring, and then it's followed by the agapanthus. Then you've got um, the sedums, and you've got verbena. Five five things that are just repeat all the way along so it was to keep it simple when I was working and then on the next layer it's just all hydrangeas yeah so that must be quite colourful in the summer yeah. and then at the bottom I've got all uh, yuccas but I didn't really realise that I because that is raised and they're all at eye level I can't do anything. Right. I can't. You have to be a bit careful. Yeah. It's in my eye. So if I did it again, they're all so healthy, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> but if something happens to them, I will not put a spiky plant. Right, it's just so. They're no a bit of a hazard. Yeah, I've really yeah. learned about plant choices over the years. They will uh, enjoy this sea air, though. The other thing you make me jealous about as well, you've got a lovely big greenhouse here, haven't you? I love it. Because you can go in the winter, can't you? Yeah, so I mean, they're nerve centres in the garden. They are nerve centres. But what's happened as I've got older, I found it too hot to work in. Right. So I built the potting shed next door so that I can pot and stew. So I'm going past the greenhouse. We're, kind of, we're on the top tier. And this is very beautiful. I, I love a potting shed. And it's kind of open plan. And it's got all that, some nice art in it. And the sieves are hanging up. They do like you, this looks like you do a lot of work in here. I do a lot of work in here. And I love everything. It's like a bar because it's, it's half open to the elements. And because it's a very sheltered spot. Because I spent so much time indoors with my work, I wanted not to be indoors in a potting shed. Right. So it, lots of shelves. And, and, and it gets occasionally battered by the wind, but very rarely. And of course, I've got a clear plastic lid on. I got the light coming in from the top as well. Yeah. Because eyes aren't that great. And so it's a nice environment, but I'm protected. This is an old ba my, my baby bar here, yep. um, which was upstairs in the attic. Some little frame so that it's the right height for yeah. me, just about deep enough for my arms. Yep. And and then I've got everything at totally reachable and on hooks. And, and then I used, you know, I got an old seaside spade, which is great for digging because it's a short one. Right. And these are my inherited tools. You're very organised by the look of it. You obviously like, you know, you keep you keep everything in the place you want it to be. And oh, I am quite organised. <laughs> yeah. It gets, you know, it gets in a right mess when I'm working, and then I and I, you have a purge. Then I have a purge. <laughs> and are you the artist? I'm the artist. Oh, I, wow. I, I I'm not good. But I usually dip the flowers. I dip a lot of them and print them into onto the... Wow. And dip them in the paint so I can get the colour match. You yeah, know, I mix yeah. the paint so I can get the colour match. Look, I think it's very beautiful. Yeah. It's, a, it's a collection of different leaves and flowers. Very beautifully painted, I must say. And that, I just think that little touch really lights up the potting shed. I think, it really, yeah. you know, it really does, yeah. So if we go along here, because I think this is where you, all your raised beds are, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so here. this you is can... my raised bed, so... Normally, I put, I've got one in front of the potting shed, which I do lettuce and things like that in. 
Yeah, these are nice, these crates. I really like these. And you've got kale in I've here, got, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, that's like, it's Russian kale. Co- is it, it coriander at the back? Or uh, par- no, that's parsley. Parsley, yeah. I've just finished spring onions here. These are winter lettuces. They're a sort of Italian one. Can you see? I tried them and they're really quite bitter, aren't they? Well, I always find... I like to microcrop a lot of my stuff, and, it, and the younger you cut it, the sweeter it tends to be, I think. As they mature, you get more lignin in the leaf, and it tends to get a yeah. little bit more bitter. So, yeah, I've reorganised it all, so everything gets a bit more sun now. I was growing rhubarb in a big old... Can you see that big old funnel over there? Yes, but it yeah. didn't like it. I put them in the ground. Now, because I can harvest rhubarb with my toes... Right. ..probably more effectively than my hands, it's all right in the ground, do you know right. what I mean? And except this Szechuan pepper over there, I thought if I can get salt from the sea and pepper. So you've had your own salt and pepper <laughs> yeah, on yeah, tap. Yeah, yeah, salt and pepper. On tap. <laughs> and then up here, I've got a, a part of the rowan tree because I, I like to get rowan berry jelly. And, yeah, I like rowan. I, yeah, 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 and I like I like to use. I like it to be productive, whatever I put in the garden. Right, I so like... then it's got to have a purpose. It's it like, has. You've got to earn its keep. It has. Yeah, like roses, like rose geranium. Ah. Uh, you know, I make the syrup and... So um... you really are utilising everything you can yeah. out of what you've got here. Yeah. 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 Very and good. So anything... I... You've got um, fruit as well on this side. And the spalius upper pergola that comes up the steps. You know, I couldn't pick fruit myself off an apple tree that was too tall. So by spalling them and... Um, yeah, these the are plum, perfect for you, aren't they? Perfect just, for yeah. me. And I can just put a little stool up if I can't get to the top ones yeah. and the plum has been amazing you know not people don't normally espalier plums we'll go down the stairs to the to the lower garden i expect they had a big old jcb digging this oh, out so this is going to be operation hampton court here <laughs> is it okay this is the, going to be the nerve center i've got edelweiss have you ever grown edelweiss i haven't no yeah I, I got them last year for my daughter got married and they were going to be flowering in june and i and i love the sound of music and so did she yeah so i bought a load and they look dead as a door now but they're coming now so they're starting to sprout they're aren't they yeah, yeah. they're really funny furry flowers they're lovely. <laughs> yeah yeah so you've got quite a big front garden as well here no you've got a very fancy summer house yeah. i built it on a three because I have three fingers. Right. And my disability is often known as a try something rather, I can't remember. And so it's corner shed in a triangle and it's got three doors and it's and, and then it's got shells from the beaches set into the woods. It's very beautiful. And um, a sh- I did think about having a sedum roof but I thought I wouldn't be able to manage it so but yes it's got all my father's old so he had he was a sheds master. Right. And he used to create sheds from anything. So this is where your passion for sheds comes yeah, from. Yeah and recycling. He I mean, just yeah, he yeah, had I mean, old windows old doors and I you know, I had some wonderful times in his shed. So, yeah, so all his memorabilia and his old uh, croquet set and his old it's war all in trunks here. are all yeah. in there. So that's very special to you, yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. You, it's got a, a um, glass roof in part, so we can lie there in the in the rain and, uh, and, and look and at the sky and, 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 and it's afternoon snoozing. Uh, definitely not a shed. No. It's so beautiful. I mean, that's the perfect spot to finish on, I think, in many ways. And I'm really chuffed I've come all the way up here to speak to you. I feel very enthused. And uh, it's been a pleasure. It really <laughs> it's been has, Sue. It's been lovely. Is it honestly? It really has. And, uh, and um, I look forward to seeing you on our tellies. And I look forward to the Hampton Court flower show. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> we've come to that time where we open the post bag to answer some of your questions. Anton, Hannah and Chris have joined me. Hello everybody. Hello. Hi Fiona. Hi Fiona. Over to you Hannah. Thank you. So we've got a nice selection of questions today starting with a peat-based question. So someone's contacted us and said they've been growing tomatoes successfully for many years in grow bags but they contained peat and they want to go peat free. Can you get peat free grow bags or should they be trying a different method? And Anton, I'm going to ask you to answer the obvious question here. What is in a grow bag and is it any different to multi-purpose compost? Okay, so in the UK, and they sell grow bags as a matter of convenience, really, because you don't have to worry about pots. You basically put the bag on the ground and you cut either two or three holes on it, depending on the size of your plants, and you can plant things straight in. It isn't that different to multi-purpose compost. I suspect that it's got a little bit more nutrients and holds a little bit more water. The manufacturer's a little bit cagey about exactly what what is different about a grow bag, but it really is a matter of convenience. I tend to find that grow bags dry out a little bit more quickly than if you were growing in pots because the plants don't have so much opportunity to form such a big root system so they they will dry out you have to pay more attention to the watering okay fiona are you a grow bag grower 
Over the years, I've used them a lot. Yes, I would say my one tip with using grow bag is is to put a board underneath the grow bag at the beginning of the season because if things change and and the tomatoes get too big or whatever and you want to move them, it's impossible to move a grow bag once you've got two large tomato plants in it. So slip a, a board underneath and that will see you through the season. Useful tip there. How about you, Chris? Grow bags or no? No, I'm not a grow bag, mainly because I just don't really, because my tomatoes, tend to, I tend to grow them all on the balcony. It's just a space thing, really. They would take up too much room for me. So I grow smaller cherry tomatoes and I grow them all in hanging baskets and it's incredibly successful. It's a decent peat-free compost. I'll start the tomatoes off indoors, prick them out, harden them off, get them in the baskets and then just go from there. I think that I'm south-facing, so it works quite well. It's just if you've got smaller space and, it, and you haven't got the room, maybe just tries a different method and what about peat free can you get them peat free yes there are quite a few manufacturers now making peat free grow bags but um if, if you want you could just as easily try using peat free compost in pots as well that's certainly what i do and it seems to work really well mm-hmm. i think it's interesting as well now it was always quite a tricky business getting decent peat free compost because it didn't dominate the market but i've always sort of cited the uh supermarkets because obviously if you go to the supermarket you do your food shopping there's bags of compost outside you bung it in the back of the car it's just so easy but actually my local supermarket i see now three or four types of peat free compost so in a way there's no real excuse not to be going not peat free at the moment. And they and it's perfectly successful. The, you know, the mechanics of it have been developed over the years. I have great success with peat free compost. Now it's available on the market. Please do use it. I encourage you to use it. You'll get plenty of decent tomatoes, I promise. Great. Thank you. And um, so the next person's contacted us and said last year they had a real issue with parrot fly. What organic methods would we recommend to avoid it this year? And Anton, can you start by talking a little bit about what carrot fly is and how we would spot it? So you're probably not very likely to see the actual carrot flies because they're they're quite small. They're smaller than a house fly, but sort of bigger than a mosquito. And they first fly in around sort of April sort of time and they will lay their eggs in your carrots and then those eggs hatch out. And then these little maggots will start eating lots of little holes in your carrots you might think well I don't care if there's a few holes in my carrots but once your carrots become riddled with them they they, they can become next to being inedible because I found that the carrots actually taste quite bitter around where the holes are as well so yeah it can write off your carrots if, if you get a bad case of it we've had a lot of experience with carrot fly we found it's quite specific to the site For example, we've grown at one site in Wellsbourne in Warwickshire, and we've just grown lovely carrots without having to worry about carrot fly at all. They've looked fantastic. Whereas about 15 miles away at Brighton on Dunsmore, where Garden Organic is, our carrots are really terrible if we don't do anything about carrot fly. We really have a problem. So one of the bits of pioneering research that Garden Organic did a while back was they actually found out that carrot fly don't fly above two feet or 60 centimetres. They're lazy flyers. So you can just put a barrier of about 60 centimetres around your carrots and that will keep them out. Or you could grow them in tall raised beds or in pots at a height as well. So that will help to keep them out. Or if you're going to just grow them in the ground, then you can just put a fine mesh over them. But you will need to be really vigilant with that mesh. Make sure it's tucked in round the sides. And if you're taking it off for weeding, you just need to be really quite quick because they really do sort of sneak in there quickly. You may have heard some various sort of remedies for carrot fly read them on the internet and gardening books one of the most common ones you see is growing onions next to carrots and this is one of those sort of myths that's just been spread around one person said it and then another person said it and then everyone thinks it must be true in fact growing onions really has very very little effect it really doesn't seem to work and people sort of tried growing various amounts of carrots and onions and they found actually you need to need to have about four times as many onions as carrot so basically you have to grow a sea of onions with a few carrots in the middle for it to work okay that's really interesting chris have you ever battled with carrot fly i have on my last allotment site i don't have much of it on the present one which means i'll get quite good carrots i'm pleased about that because there's nothing better than a fresh organic carrot they really are amazing to taste but on the last place the only way i could grow them was as anton described i had to grow them at height 
you know, you can raise bed or a pot, something that's above 60 centimetres or around there. But for some reason, they get giddy if they go too high, and that may be your solution. I, I grew one called Globe, and that is a small, tiny carrot, but it's absolutely delicious. But that's the only way I could get around it. Perfect. Thank you. So now we're moving on to indoor growing, and someone's contacted us to ask how they get rid of aphids on the chillies that they're growing indoors. Now, Chris, you're the man for this. Nuclear device. That'll get rid of them. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's uh, uh, there's a few methods. I mean, don't freak out if you see a pest indoors is my rule one. I mean, they might appear. It's a very unnatural environment. But I'm growing chilies at the moment for our Grow Along campaign. They're looking really healthy. There's a few things. I could get aphid. I could get aphid. I could get white fly. There's a few things I, I exercise to maybe to control that. The first one is observation. I make sure I look at what's on the plant. Is there something there? If it is, I can just rub it off. If uh, their presence is minimal, I can get rid of them fairly quick. The other thing I think they quite enjoy, and even your house plants quite enjoy this, is get them outside in the air if it's a lovely sunny day in london today i'll probably give them a little bit of breather a bit of fresh air a bit of sunbathing if you like and also just attention to watering make sure they don't get too soggy if the plant is weak the pest will attack so attention to the hygiene and the health of the plant is very important my big tip as well i love using seaweed extract anyone who knows me knows that i think that makes a regular uh, foliar feed as the plant starts to put on growth makes it a more robust plant a stronger plant less prone to attack and what would you do if you've got aphids inside a glass house, Anton? Well, I've had quite a bit of experience at this. I was growing growing some peppers in a glass house last year, and I saw that there was quite a few aphids on my pepper plants, and they started to multiply. Apparently, one aphid can give birth to six new live aphids every day, so that's that's why they tend to multiply pretty quickly. And I th- think, like Chris says, don't panic. Don't sort of think oh, I need to re- reach for a spray. Because very quickly, I started to notice that some of these aphids were swollen up and they weren't looking so so healthy. And I noticed there's lots of little of these little black parasitic wasps flitting around on on these chili plants. They were injecting their eggs into the into the aphids and parasitizing them. And I think part of the reason for that was I also grow overwinter salads in my glass house. And what happened was I just leave them in there and they obviously all the rocket and the mustards and the mizuno are bolting and flowering. But I just left them in there because it was attracting a mass of sort of parasitic wasps and hoverflies actually into my glass house. Very soon afterwards, I also noticed that there was hoverfly larvae on my pepper plants and I also found ladybird larvae on there as well so I had the sort of full suite of natural pest protection products actually come in there so I think really just if if you can have some flowers growing in your glass house to bring in the predators I think that really does help. Can I just say that's an amazingly helpful tip for me because I have a patch of Mizuna and winter salad in my greenhouse, which has now got very, very peppery. I mean, almost eye-wateringly peppery at, at this late stage in the season. And the leaves are are, are huge. And I, I wrote a note to myself last night to do what I did last year, which is just to sort of plough it into the soil in the greenhouse as a sort of form of, of green manure. But actually, several of them have come into flower. So I'm actually going to leave it and I'll, I'll follow your advice and see how I get on with the aphids in the greenhouse this year. And you can save seeds from them as well. Even better. Perfect. Thank you. So I'm going to sneak in a fourth question here because I like this question. And we do get asked it a lot. How do earthworms appear when making compost? Where do they come from? Anton? Well, the worms that you find in your compost bin are what's known as a brandling worm or a tiger worm. They're the sort of dark red worms with slightly sort of white stripes on them. They're different from the pink earthworms that you find in your soil. What happens when one or two of these brandling worms find your compost bin, they are very attracted to it because the conditions are like just basically a great big barrel full of leaf litter. They found heaven in there. You just need a few worms in there. And then sort of from the spring onwards, they will multiply really, really quickly. You only need one or two to get in through the base and they will start to multiply. Also, you might be introducing a few worm eggs on some of the plant material that you put in there. But I think the thing is, when you just introduce one or two, those conditions are, are so ideal for worms that they, they really sort of do thrive really, really quickly. 
I think just to add to what Anton says, obviously your composting conditions need to be right. Make sure it isn't too wet or it isn't too dry. So a little bit of attention to mixing your carbons and your nitrogens, your deads and your greens. Get a nice little balance in there and the worms will come. I think that's about right, isn't it, Anton? Yeah, I, I'd perhaps like to say that you should never have to buy worms to put in your, in your compost. If, if you think that you haven't got quite enough worms, you could find a friend who's got a few spare worms from their compost bin and there's no need to be having to buy them. I, I must admit, we once bought some from a wormery and it was a really traumatic experience seeing worms arrive in the post. I, I don't want to do it again. It's freedom to the worms. I love the idea we got seed swapping we've also got worm swapping going on I mean, that's brilliant isn't it <laughs> the, the other thing about them is they're very light sensitive aren't they so actually if you keep your compost covered that's even better for them um in terms of them being able to multiply and feed be, be a healthy population within the within the compost heap perfect well i think that covers everything thanks ever so much everyone we'll see you next month cheers anna cheers everybody thank you bye-bye Bye. Well, we've come to the end of our podcast for the miraculous month of May. If you want to learn anything more about the topics we've discussed or any other organic gardening conundrum, there's plenty of advice on our website at gardenorganic.org.uk. We always love to hear from you, so do get in touch with us via social media if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover. We're at Garden Organic UK on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Make sure you keep composting to give those wonderful worms the fuel they need to nurture our soils. But most of all, enjoy this very special month as so many plants burst into life. I can't help but think back to Chris's description of holding all the seeds in one hand now that will fill his whole allotment with food and flowers by harvest time. I mentioned at the start that our presenter, Sarah Brown, has retired from Garden Organic, so the whole team wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you, Sarah, for founding and launching this award-winning podcast, and we look forward to your future guest appearances to keep us all on track. Next time, we'll be right on the edge of summer, and there'll be much to talk about to keep us up to speed on organic gardening methods. Thanks so much for joining us. Our thanks again to our sponsors, the Organic Gardening Catalogue, and to Kevin McLeod for providing the music. That's it, until next month.